Hlu, Kai Hlu, Hedran Hlu. To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Welcome back to What's This Dow About? Dow All About. Uh, my name is Todd Perry. With me is C. Joe, the great Dr. Carl Totten. Always nice to be here. Thank you. And uh, let's see here. So on today's show, we're going to go over some listener mail uh, from an athlete. So something a little bit different. Uh, we've got Chapter 6 of the Dow Day Ching. And I want to start off the show with uh, Dr. Carl Totten. You are a Taoist priest. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder, how does one become a Taoist priest? Ha! Is the question. Well, that's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you can go down the road and find your closest uh, seminary mm-hmm. <laughs> and just become one. Right. <laughs> or study to become one that easily. Um, so these days, that's definitely not easy, partic- especially here in the United States. You're right. Very difficult. Now, of course, I guess you could learn to read and write Chinese, move to China, you know, go to Beijing and to the White Cloud Temple and, you know, beg and plead to become one of their uh, followers. And So do you have to, like, show up at the monastery steps <laughs> and they turn you away, kind of like in fight club? No, you're not ready. No, you're not ready. Uh, yeah, assuming they'd admit you to study in the first place. So that uh, path is probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, now, the only time really in the United States that there was some type of training program for Taoism was in the early 1970s at the Taoist Sanctuary right here in North Hollywood, kind mm-hmm. of our predecessor organization. It was started by a very well-known uh, actor, psychologist, bon vivant, mm. <laughs> All-around interesting character named uh, Kai Alk D. Okay. Dr. D. All right. You might know him from the Manchurian Candidate. He okay. was the the kind of Chinese agent who was doing the brainwashing. Oh, uh, I, I you know I've actually never seen that movie. Oh so. my goodness! A treat awaits you. Yes. He, you, maybe you saw him in Hawaii Five O. He was the most famous villain. Wofat. Oh, okay, the yeah. Chinese agent. Yes. <laughs> he kind of playing the same role yeah. as he was in uh, The Manchurian Candidate. Uh, he also wrote a very well-received book, Commentaries on the I Ching, called The Eleventh Wing. Okay. Okay. He was the president of the International I Ching Studies Institute in Studio City for many years. And then in 1970... That merged with this new organization that he created called the Taoist Sanctuary right here in North Hollywood. Mm-hmm. 
and um, among the students there was Moa, myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he started a Taoist studies program. And so that was the first time and place in the United States that official kind of Taoist uh, training was available from this Taoist scholar who started this nonprofit religious institution in North Hollywood called the Taoist Sanctuary. Now, did you go into class like someone taking a college class or? Yeah, he had, he he gave lecture. He was a incredible like Shakespearean actor he had a great voice great presence mm-hmm. and uh, he would give lectures on Taoism uh, he would give lectures on comparative comparative religious philosophy um, where, uh, where we actually met was in some buildings in the back of the uh, of a church of a Christian church here in North Hollywood he knew the pastor because mm-hmm. he knew pretty much everyone mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so the Christians were in the front we were in the back, <laughs> and uh, we had programs. Uh, my teacher from China brought in the study of Chinese medicine, some of the uh, kind of more religious uh, Taoist uh, theology, uh, the Chinese Kung Fu, the Qigong, the meditation, and then uh, Dr. D and some other, he had two or three other scholars would give presentations and lectures on Taoism. Um, over time, we learned uh, various rituals, you know, how to do weddings and funerals and other things like that. So that led to various levels of ordination. Uh, later, when uh, that kind of merged into my Taoist Institute here in North Hollywood, and also we have a sister school in San Diego, yeah. also called the Taoist Sanctuary, uh, which was part of that original Taoist sanctuary in North Hollywood as well. And people would go back and forth and teach, oh, okay. uh, by the way. It's an exchange of ideas and yeah, people. Yes. So, again, we offered programs uh, periodically leading to ordination, both here and in San Diego. And now those programs are no longer consistently available, but at the time they contained instruction in, again, Chinese and Taoist history, comparative religious studies, Chinese medical and healing practices, um, spiritual counseling, rituals, again, funerals, weddings, blessing ceremonies, uh, qigong, meditation, Chinese martial arts study, kung fu, tai chi, and more. It required essentially about three years to become kind of the equivalent of a Taoist minister, six years to become a full priest, Mm. and 10 to 15 years to become an abbot. Oh, wow. So that's essentially how it was done. And most recently in May of last year, uh, about a year ago, we had a reunion of all the seven or eight Taoist abbots who are in our circle. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had a uh, Immortals weekend, and we all came together for a conclave and uh, talked about who we are, what we're doing, and you know, plans for getting a lot of the work out there. A, a lot of the people who are ordained... Um, uh, teach various things. Some teach uh, qigong and meditation. Some of them are healers. Almost all of them are healers, in fact. Um, my teacher from China, his temple was kind of a healing 
temple. Mm. They specialized, in fact, in Chinese medicinal herbs. Okay. And villagers would come up the mountain to get treated with because there weren't doctors around necessarily. Yeah. So the monks would be the doctors. Oh, wow. And they would talk to them, spiritual healing. They would do deep possessions, <laughs> kind of exorcisms if, when needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would um, uh, teach, uh, you know, healthy living practices. Okay. They'd teach the Tao. Right. <laughs> yeah, the Tao. And so that's kind of how it was done. Uh, these days, again, unless you can kind of go to China and learn Chinese, it's or Taiwan or someplace, it's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, now so that's a problem. So if you have you know certain eight current you know living abbots, and who are not getting any younger, then there's going to be kind of a, a chasm, <laughs> right, where this this information isn't passed on, or you know, I mean, obviously they teach and you teach, and people can get this information out, things like this podcast, um, but there will be. And, you know, maybe you don't need leadership in Taoism. Maybe it's, but you just need the information of the scholars, of the sages, or, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to keep that going. But uh, I think obviously one-on-one and seeing people is very important. So Yeah, so going forward, yeah, we're going to have to have discussions about what do we want to do here? <laughs> yeah. How are we going to make sure this survives another thousand years right <laughs> how to keep it going uh, especially because it's starting to have a foothold in in the west yeah well you know we're, we're i think we're gonna do what Lao Tzu did right we're gonna write a book right. <laughs> well the, the great thing well, yeah that yeah <laughs> we ha- the book is on its way yes uh, and we also i think the point of this show when i first started doing it was to have this place online in the digital world now of podcasting, the kind of new medium that people can go, and this this can be kind of um, uh, you know documented for posterity, or just a place, a repository for this information to help it survive and perpetuate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the idea. Because uh, Taoists don't proselytize, right? We don't come door to door and ask you for money or buy this, buy that. Uh, we, we don't do that. <laughs> well, actually, I've been going door to door recently just soliciting money. Uh, no. <laughs> fleecing the locals. No, but I mean, the, originally this idea was, I was like, oh, let me just, you know, do 12 shows. And so it could just be there for people who are interested in this kind You're of thing. Right. <laughs> and now, what are we on? 36? We've tripled it because people want more. And, and it's such a blast to do. But uh, so... Let's move on here. Uh, let's see here. So we we got some listener mail oh, yes. here uh, from someone named Leo. And I guess Leo, I looked him up because he said he was a professional athlete. And finally, I guess he's a professional, I believe it was snowboarder. Mm. So, and he writes in and he says, uh, hi, Todd. Uh, I can't seem to grasp the idea of truly doing nothing to reach a stable and content life. Being totally okay, like being totally okay with not pursuing goals. I'm fortunate enough to have made my career as a professional athlete. The further I dive into the Tao, the harder and harder it becomes to be okay with the shameless self-promotion and, and ego that come along with it. I have traveled all over the world and have seen truly awe-inspiring landscapes because of my career. Yet, as I pick apart my life, this seems to contradict the teaching of the Tao. If I continue to follow the path of the Tao, I will lose my sponsors and the opportunity to travel. I will live a far simpler life, have less possessions, less obligations, and less to lose. Therefore, I'll have no fear or stress, but I'll also lack all the substance, experience, and stories. I think that at the end of the day, uh, I don't want to 
be a you know at the end of the day I don't want to be a totally happy balloon that floats around the garden for the rest of my life. <laughs> a little struggle and discomfort always seem to be more appealing than total bliss. How does a Dow master justify making people pay? Um, so there we go. So that's kind of his point. So and he says uh, thank you, Leo. Uh, Leo says thank you. Uh, looking for advice. So my response was it that there's a common misconception in Taoism that much of the philosophy revolves around doing nothing. But Taoism is about balance, yin and yang, so doing nothing at all would definitely throw everything out of whack. Instead, the Tao calls us to embrace Wu Wei, which is effortless action. And as an athlete, I'm sure you are used to entering states when your mind is turned off and your actions on the ski clubs are completely second nature and seemingly effortless. That experience of flow, when the snow, your body, your equipment, the weather, the landscape are all in harmony, and give you that feeling of being able to do anything, that's the effortless place we strive for. Yes. It's not laying on the floor all day and doing nothing or being <laughs> resigned or giving up. Being that it's human nature to embrace doing, feeling, fulfillment, sensory overload, achievement, the Tao whispers in our ear that nothingness, silence, emptiness, and being in the moment are just as powerful. So like everything, it's about finding that sweet, sweet balance. And so I, I think, and so I said, when it comes to, to, to goals, Taoism isn't against having goals, but asks us not to get so hung up on the outcomes and to enjoy the trip on the path to said goal. Mm-hmm. To live in the moment versus basing our entire identity and happiness on achievement. Success is fleeting, but we are always in the now. There's no escape. And of course, uh, once we become more adept at living in the moment, our goals will naturally change as well. Yes. Beautiful answer. Thank you. And uh, I like that. And uh, I, I express, I think, similar sentiments to um, Leo. And I think that it uh, might be useful for our listeners, too, who might have very similar issues and questions. Um, you know, I said, again, thank you for your uh, mail. We appreciate it. The way of the Tao centers on feeling aligned with your own inner nature and then expressing that without ego or undue effort. Uh, as things flow from your heart are in harmony with the great Tao, it's an easy, effortless action since it flows from you being you. <laughs> Balance often requires an exchange. You provide some service or product and others provide some funding so you can, in fact, do what you're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and as long as it's uh, in balance and, and harmony and not excessive, uh, it works. Yeah. Yin and yang in perfect balance, giving and receiving on both ends. And as Lao Tzu says, a Taoist knows when he has enough and doesn't endlessly pursue more and more and more money while others starve. That would be another type of imbalance. Dropping all desire is not necessary. Dropping excessive attachment to, ex- to desire represents a better state of harmony likely to lead towards balance, inner peace, and fulfillment without stress. This then becomes authentic happiness where one enjoys all that one does naturally. That's how a Taoist does less, but by not endlessly pursuing more and more. Mm -hmm. See, that becomes less and less. So I hope this clarifies more of the Taoist path for you. It's all about where are you coming from? When you are truly in harmony with your inner nature as it flows from the Tao, you are at peace. Thanks for listening, and may the peace of the Tao be with you always. 
So that's very that that's very nice. So it's you know it's a, again it's uh, it's about balance. It's about yes. again this theme that runs through this whole recording session is the antidote. Yes. To the Western mind and yes. that the, the Western mind striving. Yes. And saying it's it's there's nothing wrong with achieving things. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with finding your bliss. Uh, what's wrong is when we do it out of harmony, out of whack. When we step on each other's throats to do it. Yes. Or when we, you know, we deny other parts of our nature or we deny other things that we need because we are ruthlessly pursuing something. Yes. And also the kind of quote unquote sin of going on this kind of journey only being attached to the result or, you know, winning that race or whatever yeah. versus the entire process. Right. Of the, the, the sin of omission of, right. n- of not fully uh, embracing it. Especially when, um, uh Accomplishment m- means to us endless additions and to more and more and more mm-hmm. uh, material things, acquisitions, money. You know, that's a uh, that's a path that provides to people who have done it to the exclusion of not following their bliss, as you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people are very unhappy. Right, believe me. I'm a psychologist. They come to me. I know exactly how unhappy they are. You know what it looks like. <laughs> now, what do you think? What is the ultimate root, do you think, of people's, I mean, besides chemical imbalances, things like that, what's the kind of normal thing that you see every time that is a, is a reason for people's unhappiness as a, as a clinical you know, psychologist? Well, a lot, of course, is kind of along the lines that we've been saying. It's, this is not so much psychological as it is theoretical or, or philosophical even. Uh, as far as psychological, you know, there are a couple of things uh, or more that I think result in our human state mm-hmm. <laughs> of well-being or disharmony, pathology, if you will. There is the biolog- bi- biology and genetics. See, so there's this, uh, that whole organic component. Mm-hmm. And in some people, that's huge, yeah, very huge. And you look back in their history and you see they come from generations of people with very similar problems. Dad had depression. Mom was uh, bipolar. Uh, Aunt uh, so and Nancy uh, had uh, psychosis. Uh, cousin Jenny had. But I, I mean, there's this powerful thread of or- organicity which just runs through the family. Mm-hmm. And they all have something. Right. Other families, they didn't have that. You know, you don't, you don't see that. But this person was raised in an abusive household where the father was a drunk and the mother was a, uh, a, a slapped the kid around. Mm-hmm. And maybe, unfortunately, the child was sexually abused by Uncle Joe or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, the parents' way of disciplining was to you know, lock the kid in their room and uh, deprive them of food and they go in and beat them periodically. So this person had nice genetics, nice biology. You know, their birth was fine, but their life, their environment was a disaster. So they've been traumatized. So they have PTSD and they have deep depression. They're very anxious, obviously, because they never knew what was going to happen next. Right, yeah. Bad to them. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you have some people who have a little bit of both. They had so this genetic or biological overload to begin with, this 
predisposition to some sort of imbalance. And they were unfortunate enough to also be in an environment that wasn't very loving and caring and nurturing. Mm -hmm. So they got the worst of both worlds. Right. Um, and then everything in between. And then unknown, unknown. Right. Um, and so as a psychologist, the first thing I do is an evaluation where I try to determine by taking a good history, sometimes by doing psychological testing, sometimes by getting medical records, and so on, I try to see on that scale where is this person's distress likely originating. Right. Because some people, without any doubt, they're going to need organic treatment. They're going to need medication because they clearly have some type of chemical imbalance that has created much of their difficulty. Other people are going to need some serious psychotherapy because they've been abused and they have a lot of trauma and they need to resolve that by learning new ways of looking at themselves, uh, reconfiguring their past, detaching from uh, states in their past that were overly traumatic. They need to rewrite their story, mm -hmm. if you will. They need to uh, uh, change the narratives right. about their life. And so that's the kind of give and take of psychotherapy week by week is basically teaching them how to do that and using the various tools that I know in as a psychologist, you know, the various uh, schools of psychotherapy that I've studied, you know, to assist the person to find the particular uh, methods that are going to be effective with them. Mm. And everyone's different. Right. And people, are, of course, are changing and growing, uh, as we know. And so I have to be flexible enough to offer the appropriate uh, treatment modality based on their history and based on the person that they are changing into moment by moment. Yeah, so you have to be completely present in the moment and yes. see things as they are. Yes. Because if you, if you see things how you want them to be or misperceive them, you know, or see, or look at look at them in a way that you want a certain outcome yes. or result, then you're not going to be doing your job. Yes, which brings yes. us back to chapter one <laughs> on that. Um, let's see here. So let's finish off today our three show recording session uh, with let's talk about chapter six of the Tao Te Ching. Yes, here again, very short, short and sweet, to the point as Lao Tzu frequently is. <laughs> I love him. He's great. Uh, he, chapter 6. The valley spirit never dies. It is the woman, primal mother. Her gateway is the root of heaven and earth. It is like a veil barely seen. Use it. It will never fail. Again, isn't that beautiful? So so the valley spirit is kind of like the, the mother of the 10,000 things, right? It's kind of coming from that negative space the yang, or, or the, the yin, the yin, yin yeah. energy, that ne kind of negative female yin energy, and th that by embracing that, um, that's mm -hmm. kind of what like Wayne Dyer mm -hmm. would call the source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know. the valley spirit, that, that's, that's Mother Nature herself. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the field, mm -hmm. the field out of which we can mine all of the essence that we need to live a fulfilling life. You know, Lao Tzu seems to be opening up about the energies of the divine feminine principle, the primal mother, he calls mm -hmm. it. This receptive yet ultimately creative principle is the root of heaven and earth. <laughs> and of all creation, if you will, that's what heaven and earth represents in this context. And so while subtle 
as to be barely seen, it is always present. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to embody this principle, those who are very ego-driven, overly striving, looking for external validation, may need to slow down, be quiet, listen (laughs) to those. And if you're always talking, you're never listening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Listen to those quiet inner voices that the intuitive feminine perspective represents. And then out of this receptiveness, a vast inner potential, easily overlooked by too much speed and hard action, the male principle, can become unleashed, which will delight and amaze you with its endless creativity. One then becomes one with an internal flow in harmony with the rising and falling of the tides, the ongoing seasons of the year, and with the natural momentum and rhythm of life itself. It requires trust. It requires trust in oneself and in the process of letting go in order to allow things to naturally emerge into being. It's a natural giving birth, if you will. That's the embodiment of the primal mother, which is at the heart of the Tao. Now, is that the the kind of primal mother, is that kind of metaphorically for that place inside of us, almost, you know, where the creativity flows through? That thing when you just kind of have faith and embrace uh, the ideas come through and and, yes. and, and don't, don't will it. It's like that place in your mind. Was it the movie Finding Neverland where the things Kate Winslet is talking to J.M. Barry, who's played by Johnny Depp, and uh, she talks about you have this place where you can go yes. and that the ideas come from and all that. And I think I think inside of all of us, we, we all have that creative place yes. if we just kind of clear the cobwebs yes. in our own minds and have the faith to, to let the ideas in. And you know where this place is? It is not in the mind. <laughs> the unified It is heart. literally in the heart. Uh, uh, you know, the Heart Math Institute and other people doing scientific research in the field of energy, in the heart space, have found that the kind of the electromagnetic energies radiating out of the heart as compared to that which is coming off of the brain, mm-hmm. where we think is the seat of our consciousness the energy radiating off of the heart is 5,000 times stronger than that coming off the brain wow 5,000 times I mean it's not even close (laughs) and so the trick is to learn how to find that space and uh, one can learn how to do that I teach it in my some of my classes what's the first step in finding that just to give somebody something practical here. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, it first requires alignment with nature, or you'll never find it. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Okay. You have to literally feel your connection and f- appreciation, gratitude, love, if you will, mm-hmm. for the energy, the beauty of Mother Earth herself. The Divine the Mother. Mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for the Divine Father. What the, what the ancients called Father Sky or Father Sun. You know, ju- just think about what it looks like when you're outside at night, especially in the mountains or the desert, and you're looking at that night sky blanketed with millions of heavenly bodies. It's awesome. You can't help but feel very small <laughs> mm-hmm. and very grateful. Again, love. Just appreciating that awesome beauty of nature. So if you can feel the your gratitude and appreciation for the awesome beauty of the earth, Mother Earth, 
and Father Sky, mm -hmm. and then allow that to resonate inside your body, that opens the door uh -huh. to get into this so-called sacred space in the heart. And then once you're in there, you find that all of reality is in there with you. Mm. Since this is a place of uni unity consciousness, it's a place where all consciousness comes together. You have your uniqueness because there's never been anyone like you ever in the world, mm -hmm. right? You know, you know, you know. As uh, Hunter Thompson used to say, right? When the, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We're we're all being professional weirdos here. Yeah. But I always say, you know, the the worst thing to be is normal. You want to be like everyone else, the norm. That's where the word normal comes from. Yeah. You know, the bell-shaped curve, you know, and you're just kind of like everyone else. Well, where's your uniqueness? Yeah. Where's what's special about you? Well, it's there. Yeah. And so in this place, the, your, your uniqueness is everywhere. It, it is feeding every pore of your soul so that you can't escape it. And yet at the same time, the entire universe is in there too. The Tao is in there. Mm -hmm. God, if you will, mm -hmm. is in there. Divinity is in there. And so there's this incredible blend of yin and yang, of self and other, of this and that, you know, as above, so below, mm -hmm. as within, so without. Yeah. Uh, perhaps the most profound words ever spoken on planet Earth mm -hmm. by Hermes of Greece. Yeah. <laughs> Another name of Thoth, right? The yeah. Ancient Egyptian. And so by getting in touch with this true inner nature, and even Jesus Christ, where did he say the kingdom of heaven was? It was in your heart. Within. Yeah. He was telling everybody where to go. Yeah. And where, does, where do most of the followers of that path look? Outside. Yeah. Up there, out there, anywhere except within. Mm -hmm. And so... The, we don't. You don't have to go far. <laughs> right. It's there. And then the next big project, if you will, is that once you have established this unification of heaven and earth, gotten in touch with this internalized primal mother, in con connection with the primal father, right? Yin and yang, mm -hmm. harmonized. Because we are human, and we do have this polarized brain, which will lead us astray if we aren't careful. Mm -hmm. We take this energy that we've now discovered and cultivated in our heart space, and we use that to submerge the brain, our thinking processes, in that same field of energy uh -huh. so that the polarization of the brain changes to match the unified energies in the heart. Okay. And so when it's, that it's, it happens, purifies the mind in a the way. The two are in communication with each other, and now you truly, maybe for the first time in your life, are capable of truly connected thought, heart, mind as one. Then create a field of consciousness within, again, as within, so without, mm -hmm. within and without. And at that point, it's easy. <laughs> you just literally go with the flow, and you know who you are, you know where you came from, you know why you're here, you know your purpose, and you know exactly where you're going. It's beautiful. And that is what this Tao is all about. Exactly. Thank you.